Maude jogged alone on the day he was killed. No one can know for sure the route he took before reaching Satilla's shores, but he'd set off from his home, which means there's a strong chance that on his run, he encountered Holmes flying a Confederate flag. Holmes tacked with no trespassing signs. To reach Satilla's shores from Boinka Ridge, he would have also had to cross U.S. Route 17, a highway that for years served as a de facto county border between the areas blacks and whites live. That is an excerpt from Mitchell Jackson's Pulitzer Prize winning story about Ahmaud Aubrey. He is our guest today. Welcome to Naked. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Wallbrook, we hear inspiring rags-to-riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale one million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field. From free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans, to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The one million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the One Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's the greatest in sports and entertainment connected with us. Every champion and carry champions to be a champion. A champion and carry champion. They girl, you did it. Got a champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment connected with Today on Naked. We have Mitchell S. Jackson, a Pulitzer Prize winning writer who has just written a book called Fly. It is about the history of NBA players and their fashion. But it's more than just a beautiful coffee table book. It gives us some history. It tells us more about who we are as a culture and why fashion means so much. But Mitchell is more than just a writer of fashion. He has written so many beautiful stories and essays about the culture. As a Black man, that gives him a special window into who we are when writing about the culture. And the essay that I read to you, the one that won the Pulitzer Prize, is about Ahmaud Aubrey. You remember the teenager who was shot dead while jogging in his neighborhood. It's really sad. And every time I think about that story, I um, I find it hard to talk about because it just reminds us of the world that we live in today. A black life can mean nothing. A black man's life can mean nothing. A little black boy's life can mean nothing. I begin today's podcast with Mitch talking about how he grew up. I want to know more about his life story. I hope that you all enjoy this edition of Naked. So I, I want to start with um, first saying congratulations on your book, uh, Fly. And I and I we will get into that. It just came out in August, I believe, of 2020. Yep. But I, I'd like to know more about the Pulitzer Prize winning journalist writer we have here. Would you consider yourself a journalist or just a writer? Yeah, I, I haven't called myself a journalist because I wasn't trained as one and I feel like kind of fraudulent in that way, though I have been doing this a very long time. Like the first thing that I ever published was journalism uh, and I'm from Portland, Oregon. So it was a newspaper that just got started in mm, 2000, I think it was when I published that. Uh, And it was actually on basketball, which is maybe kind of strange or serendipitous, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I've done a lot of journalism, but I, I went, I'm, I'm trained as a fiction writer. I actually went to two MFA programs to study fiction. OK, so with that being said, um, I want to know how you grew up because we'll get to the Pulitzer Prize winning essay. Yeah. But I want to know about how you grew up. Uh, from my understanding, it was in Portland during a very um, transitional time period. And, yeah. and, and, and it was a struggle for you. So tell me a little uh-huh. bit about where you grew up and what life was like for you. Yeah. Um, well, I was born in 75, so I'm a child of the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and like, you know, a lot of black communities or depressed communities, 
we had our problems with drugs and poverty and eventually gangs. And so um, that kind of, I would say, defined not my super early childhood, but by the time I was in double digits through my teens, you know, I thought a lot about that. And and uh, my mother struggled with addiction from the time I was 10 years old and all through my probably until I was into my 30s. Um, so that really had a, an effect on me. I ended up selling dope like a lot of people. I also played basketball, but that's kind of maybe even beside the point uh, and ended up going to prison for a little while. Uh, what is a little while? 16 months. Okay. So, you know, if when I talked to my friends that really did some time, I can't really even, I got to mention my time up under my breath. Yes, because uh, it ain't enough. <laughs> <laughs> but it was enough for me to like, I'm not going enough for me. back there. Yeah. 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 So here we are. Um, you, you, the path, the story, not unfamiliar, especially for the culture, but you, the unfamiliar turn comes when you, and please explain to me how you go from, have you always have, uh, always had an interest in writing and fiction, even when you got out of jail, what turned life around for you? Yeah, I didn't, I haven't, I did not have an, um, an interest in fiction writing. I didn't even realize that I had an interest in writing. Like I go back now, I was just looking for a story with some archival stuff and saw journals that I had from when I was 10 and 11 years old, just every day. This is what was happening. Today was a good day. Today was a bad day. Um, so I think I had that kind of nonfiction element in me. But in terms of fiction, I didn't really, uh, I didn't read a lot of fiction and I didn't really decide to write fiction until I decided to kind of write my life story and thought, oh, I'm going to get some people in trouble if I tell this straight ahead. So I better learn how to fictionalize this. So really it was um, the the kind of mandate from myself of not getting people in trouble that actually drew me to fiction. Wow, really? That's yeah. interesting. The mandate from yourself to not get in yeah. trouble. Drew you remember that joke to- snitching? <laughs> no snitching brought me to fiction. Oh, wait, that's the name of the next book. No, this brought me to fiction. Yo, that's the name of the next book. So yeah. you 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 spend, um, I think, the bulk of your time in Portland. When do you leave there? Because from my understanding, you live in the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I left Portland in my early 20s. I, I moved to New York, or maybe my mid-20s, I moved to New York. And I was there almost 20 years. Started at uh, New York University, where I was an MFA student. And then I ended up teaching there for a very long time. Uh, yeah. So became a professor again, didn't decide to become one just, oh man, I got this master's degree. What am I going to do with it? I got a felony and a master's degree. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't want to fill out no job apps. <laughs> so, so, so you, you, you fall in love with this writing thing that you really didn't yeah. think anything about. Do you think you're, you're trained, um, generally by your eye or by what you learned or mm-hmm. the world around you? Because they, you would think when you hear someone say, I'm a professor, I teach. Yeah. Um, there has to be some sort of um, pedigree that comes with that prior to, or as you. Yeah. So how do we get there? I, you know, I'm. I was in jail. I was a street guy. Lived in yeah. Portland. Now and now I'm a professor. Like the two yeah. are so diametrically opposed to one another. I mean, it's, it's like the dichotomy of the two yeah. is really a lot. Well, they seem like they're diametrically opposed, but if you got to survive in the streets, you have to understand the rules of it. You have to understand the craft of what you're doing. And I was always, like, I grew up 
I guess I should have mentioned this, that my father and my uncles were all hustlers. And I, on the one hand, I idolized them. But on the other hand, I was critical of them. So I would watch what they were doing and I would always listen to them talking. And so that the cadence that they speak in and the diction that they speak in and the way that they move, their mannerisms, I would always make note of that. I wouldn't write it down, but I would certainly pay attention to that. And then when I got older and I started writing, I started realizing, oh, I could translate that same metric. I could translate that. And I had been paying attention and asking myself, well, why is Uncle Paul doing this? Or why is Uncle Paul out in Hawaii for six months and comes back stuffing money in my pockets? And so um, I think those experiences and then recognizing what was valuable inside of them, that they weren't just throwaways that I, I couldn't do anything with. So that was really, really important to me. And then I, I was a good student. So I, it was never, I was never one of those dudes like forget school and it ain't for me. And I, like I was honor roll student, scholarship kid. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think I, I always had those two kind of parallel things running alongside each other. Yeah, you lived in both worlds. And now that you say it, that makes sense. We all do in some capacity. You know what I mean? We've yeah. all, we all have in so many ways. I know, I know I have. I think um, you get to Columbia. I'm going to go to, excuse me, I'm going to go to you graduating from um, from getting a master's degree and living yeah. in the city. And what do you focus your writing on? What do you what do you what do you because, by the way, Thanks. you know, I'm sure you had a dream or maybe it wasn't fully realized, but writing was your yeah. passion. And I want to know right. what really allowed you to dig into your passion of writing. What was your specificity? If I can get that word out. <laughs> I think feeling like my options were narrowed was the beginning of like, okay, I had a young daughter. My daughter's now 22. Um, and I went out to New York <laughs> <Yeah>. right <laughs> when she was born. And so yeah. I was like, damn, if, if I don't make good on this, not only did I leave, but I failed too. So there was an imperative for me to make good on that. And then I think, uh, you know, I had told everyone else, like, I'm going out here to be a writer. So you, you can't, I mean, if you come home after you've done all of this, you got a lot of explaining to do. Um, and I was lucky enough that I met people early on who actually told me I had talent. And not only, you know, it's, it's one thing to be encouraged. It's another thing to be encouraged and then given the critical faculty of actually figuring out why you're good. Like if you read a journalist story or you're watching someone build out a, 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 a deck or something, you can tell what's good and what isn't about that. And if you can tell them that, that's different than saying like, oh, you're a really good journalist. And so I had people tell me, oh, you can do this. And then here's how you do this. And here's what I think you should be working on. And really, a lot of those people were old white men. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah. And what did they tell you I you should be working really on? Interesting about the way that white men feel empowered in, in basically anything that they do and the audacity, I call it the white man's audacity. Like they feel like they can do anything. For sure. And if, if, if people who are marginalized can kind of take on some of that audacity, I think it's helpful to them because it gives them license to do things that they wouldn't otherwise try. Absolutely. And I definitely have that audacity. But what were they telling you to write? What were they telling you to write about? Like, it's, I'm interested to hear what a white man yeah. is telling a black man he should write about in their field. Yeah. Well, they weren't necessarily telling me what to write about, they were saying, if you're going to write it, how about you think about this? Or did you, I remember one, uh, I had a, a mentor, this really old white guy, and I had a sentence. It was, um, she told me to hold it for safe keep. 
She told me to hold it and then she took it back. He's like, oh, yeah, that's great, Mitch. And then I said, rent money from under the mattress. And he says, stop, Mitchell. He said, I never want to hear you asking for someone's sympathy on the page. Don't you ever do that. And Mm. just that bit was like, oh, yeah, because it's so easy when you got a hard night life story to like make that your currency. And essentially he was saying, you can't make this your currency because if you do, you're going to run out. Um, so that was really, really key for me. So rewrite that sentence without asking for sympathy. What is it? Yeah. I'm yeah, asking. Just take off. This. She told me, hold it for, I mean, she, it was rent money under the mattress. She, she told me to hold it for safekeep. She told me to hold it and then she took it back. And that was the end of it. And not, you know, my mom took the rent money from me from under my mattress was like, oh, feel sorry for this guy. His mother's taking the rent money from him. But what does that sentence, I'm, now I'm getting into the weeds, what does that sentence now mean when you take the last part of that sympathy off of it? Does it mean so much for whomever is reading it? It can be interpreted anyway? Yeah, I think there's mystery in it. That's another craft element, right? Like what's, what's the mystery? I think as a journalist, and this is, I think, one thing, the difference between a journalist and a fiction writer is the fiction writer is trying to withhold information as long as they can, and the journalist is trying to give it to you as quick as they can, right? Like you get to the inverted pyramid. That's the journalist has to give you all the info right up top. Correct. Fiction writer like, no, I don't want you to know her name right now or what year this is if I don't have to tell you. Okay, there's the difference. Okay, the beautiful difference. And I understand it's so crystal clear. In my mind, I have three minutes to tell the entire story. And that's on a generous day. That's on a generous day. But you're so... (laughs) You're saying... As opposed to a two minute, two minutes, you know, or one thirty. You're saying... Um, I'm going to wait. She told me to hold it yeah. for safe keep. She told me to hold it for safe keep, but then she took it away. I think love. Yeah. I think kids. I think money. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah. I think so many different things. That's so beautiful. What a beautiful yeah. moment that registered with you, which is why you yeah. had the talent, and that's what they recognized in you. Beautiful. Yeah. Um. So I'm curious. You 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 have these mentors along the way that aren't black, you know? but you're writing our stories or in fiction, in ways, are you writing all stories? I'm really just concentrating on writing a novel about my life. That that takes me through two graduate writing programs. But along the way, um, when I get to New York, because I have a young daughter back in Portland and I'm adjuncting all around the city, I start freelancing. And so uh, probably have a mutual friend. I don't know if you know Daytuan. I saw he just got a really good job uh, working for Dick Clark. Oh, I saw uh, that. But, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? But those are was, these. I don't know if I know. Should I say no? We probably have a lot yes. of mutual friends, but it's just like uh, so, some of our friends are social media friends, too. But yes. OK. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was pressing everybody back then. You know, I would go to all the little parties and I saw Daytuan in a party. He was the uh, editor in chief of King magazine at the time. And I was like, man, I just moved down here. And I'm trying to, you know, break through, man. Like, And he gave me a fabulous review. That's like great. 150 words. <laughs> wow, that's great. That's that was great. It. That was it. That's yeah. all I needed. That's all I needed. Good yeah. for you. Good for you. you. I appreciate you supporting Naked. We're going to take a break and pay some bills. Back in a moment. Every champion and carry champions to be a champion. A champion and carry champion and carry champion. A champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment. Get naked with All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. 
Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Wallbrook, we hear inspiring rags to riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Every champion and carry champions to be a champion. A champion and carry champion. That girl, you did it. Got a champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment. Get naked with Hey, everybody. I appreciate you pushing through those commercials. Uh, welcome back to Naked and today's guest. So, so you write your, your first published work is, is it an essay or is it, is your book? You're not, it's actually a feature in, in a, in the Portland Tribune about three guys who should have gone to the NBA from my hood and didn't. Okay. How did you um, feel about that? Your uh, first one? I felt pretty good because it was, you know, it was like a cover of our sports section and it was my first piece. Like it I did it for class. Um, and then also to be able to highlight my friends made me feel really satisfied that I could, you know, share their stories. And I've done that since. Share your friends' stories. Yeah, those are, to me, the yeah. best stories that you can tell from not necessarily first person, but up close where you have an inside perspective. So now, yeah. so now I want to fast forward to you, you. You're working, you're established. The question is really simply, before you write um, the Pulitzer Prize winning essay, do you feel mm -hmm. successful before you write this essay that 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 gives you the the pedigree or the clout, if you will, in your world. Yep. Uh, yes, I feel. I don't feel like I'm not at the pinnacle of anything, and and still not. But I, I had won 
several awards by the time I had done that. And they're mostly just, I mean, basically, if you're outside of writing, you, you are probably only know about the National Book Award and the Pulitzer Prizes. But inside of writing, I had won all the little stuff that kind of leads up to that. So I felt good about that. I had two books that were well-reviewed. Um, and I was doing other stuff, you know, writing for Time and Esquire and all that. So I did. But the but the the Aubrey piece did feel different. Okay, so... Um, but let me set this up for everybody. So if for those who are listening, let me set this up for you guys. Um, Ahmaud Arbery, you remember the, the black kid from Georgia who was jogging, who was murdered, and we all saw it, who was murdered, um, who really, at, at the height of everything in the pandemic, yeah. our racial renaissance, um, the video is awful, awful, traumatizing. Yeah. And you wrote an essay. He wrote an essay that went on to win a Pulitzer Prize. I want you to tell everybody, obviously we know that, well, not all of us, but the facts yeah. of the story, but tell us what you, yeah. how you wrote it, from what perspective, yeah. and what you felt as you were writing this Pulitzer Prize winning essay. Well, I think it's, it's, it's very important to mention it was the pandemic. <laughs> so I remember I got the call from my, my editor. Um, I had only, I think I had worked with him once, and it was on, I wrote a story for Esquire about Michael B. Jordan. Uh, and then he kept calling me, calling me, you, you want to write on that? And I was like, nah, nah. And then he called me and he was like, it was pandemic. I was at sheltering in my New York apartment. He calls me, he says, man, I think I got something for you. I'm like, okay, what is it? He was like, Ahmaud Arbery. And I had just watched a clip of the video. I didn't watch the whole thing, but it was fresh on my mind. And I normally try to stay away from mm-hmm. being the person who talks immediately about something because I don't feel like I'm informed enough and I don't want to say something that's that, that's not smart or not empathetic or whatever it is. And then I thought, well, man, I'm home though. And this really struck me. And I was like, okay. And then I remember asking him, do I have to leave my apartment? Because I was, I was one of those people that was really sheltering. Like I didn't leave. I was getting Instacart and <laughs> I walked outside of my building for like three weeks. You're like, I'm not uh, fooling with it. Yeah. 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 So he said, no, you don't have to do it. And I said, well, I, I want y'all to know I'm also not a runner. Like, I get on the treadmill, but I don't go out jogging. He's like, no, it's okay. And once I had those two things, I remember they had one person, and his name was Jason. He was uh, Ahmad's uh, soft or JV football coach. And they're like, he's willing to talk to you. So I said, okay. So I, well, who's after that? I didn't have a list of subjects. And they're like, well, we got that. And so I, I'm on the phone with Jason. And I'm asking him questions. He's telling me great stories. And there's a guy in the background that keeps answering questions for Jason. I'm like, man, who is that? He's like, oh, man, that's Maude's best friend. I'm like, oh, shit. Well, can I talk to him? Okay. And he's like, yeah. So then I set up an interview with him. And then I'm talking to him. And then he mentioned someone that I don't know. And I said, hey, man, who is that? He's like, oh, that's Maude's sister. I said, man, can I talk to her? He said, man, yeah, let me yeah, look yeah, out. Yeah. And that's how it went like I would talk to one person I didn't have a plan I would talk to one person and they would give me a story and and everyone was so generous everyone around Maude was so so generous and I remember the last person that I talked to was Maude's older brother and we were talking late at night and I was laughing really loud at the end of our um end of our conversation our interview and then my partner comes in. He's like, man, who are you talking to? Like, is that your brother? I was like, no, nah, that was Maude's brother. He's like, wow, it sounded like y'all was family. 
<laughs> and uh, that's that's like the feeling that I had while I was talking to them. Then I started writing the piece and I got to the end of it and I had all of this, all these anecdotes about mod. And I was like, damn, I'm going to lose all this. And I was like, how can I keep it? And I have a list. If you've ever read this um, story, there's a list at the end. It's like what I want you to know about mod and what you should know about mod and what you must know about mod. And that's really the list of things that might have gotten left out of the story unless I figured out a way to keep him in. And I really, really wanted to give a sense of who that young man was because he was remarkable. Um, and I think his not only was he remarkable, but his people were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I really wanted to stress that. Mm-hmm. So you read it when it's all said and done. What do you mm-hmm. think? How long did it take you to write? And when, mm-hmm. you, when you went over it and made me back and forth with your editors, what did you yeah. feel? Uh, I felt pretty good about it when I finished. I didn't have that many edits on it, mm. which is strange. Like, I'm, I'm actually closing a story today for the New York Times. I've been working on it for almost two years, and wow. I'm easily into 40 edits. Wow. I mean, I've probably done 20 edits in the last two days. Wow. Uh, yeah, wow. I know. So for, for me to do a, that story on mod and to have, I don't know, five edits maybe um so that 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 felt good um and i remember when i posted it though i had a woman who had won a fellowship with me maybe 10 years prior and i posted it this is on facebook (laughs) i guess i don't even go there anymore and she wrote her first it was like the first comment when i posted it she said and the winner is for the Pulitzer Prize, a moving story on ahmaud arbery mitchell jackson wow and when she wrote that i was like Oh, wow. Shit. What if wow. that actually happened? Wow, 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 wow. Chills. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She already knew. It's crazy. She <laughs> knows, never wrote that before. No one had ever wrote anything like that on my on story. And she that was the first thing she said. Why do you think it touched everyone? Yes, it was the pandemic. Yes, we're paying attention. Yeah. Yes, our black stories were pushed to the forefront. But why that story? Because so many were being told. Yeah, I think. Um, I was that moment, uh, the story came out, I think, June of 2020. There was a, a like two week period where, to me, some of the best writing about Black Lives Matter and the subjects tangential to that, not tangential, related to that came out. It was like Imadi Perry had something and Tana no, no, Jasmine had something and, uh, Kiese Layman has something. And I was a part of that like push. Um, and I also think Floyd was right in that area too. And it happened to be that I probably, I may have had what was the best piece about a black lives matter victim in that moment. So somebody, it was going to come. Like, I feel like journalism, the, 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 the subject matters just as much, if not more than the, sometimes the writing. And so something out of that subject was going to do it. It was just, which piece is it that is on this subject, right? It had to be timely. So I think a lot of it was timing. I hope a lot of it was the writing as well. And I think the ending of it, um, it's like uh, almost, I won't say it's biblical, but but the anaphora of the ending of that story like does something different than like a regular journalism landing yeah it's very 
personal. It's very, yeah. and I don't want to say an obituary, but it is a, um, it kind of is. Yeah. yeah. But more yeah. though, more though, more though. Yeah. I, 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 you didn't give it all away, but right away, you know, mm-hmm. just as you have been taught to do <laughs> or yeah. shared, shared with, you know <laughs> what I mean? Um, yeah. so then you have this moment. And I congratulations. You should Thank I mean, you. that's just beautiful. It's legacy a part of your legacy. You pass it down to your, your daughter. Um, it's something to say my dad is and was, whatever it may be. Um yeah. it, and then you and you go on and you write you continue to live your life. I we get out right. of the pandemic and, and, and which brings us to present, if you will. And if there's anything that I'm yeah. missing that you wanna talk about, but there's a book that you put together. That you, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is, I love a good coffee table book, by the way. Like to me, yeah. it's interesting. Some people live in the two worlds, the memoir, you know, the, 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 the story of themselves. And I don't yeah. get to see too many coffee table books, um, that I think are more, that, that are more common to the world in which I live in. So tell everybody mm-hmm. about Sly and how this, this idea, which I'm sure has been simmering in your, in your brain and your mind for a very long time came about. Yeah. Uh well again my my very first piece was um damn the sun is really messing with me um <laughs> my very first piece was uh almost famous on my friends who who didn't make it who I thought should and so yeah. I've been writing about basketball for twenty years I played all the way through junior college and uh, I actually remember um when I I had a friend uh, Damon Stedemar who's now the head coach of Georgia Tech but he was in the league at the time. And uh, once he, all my, my whole crew know I'm the dude that try to put that shit on all the time. And so he called me one summer. He was like, man, I need you to, I need you to buy my summer wardrobe. I was like, okay. He was like, man, I'm going to send you some money. And, you know, you just you look out for me and I'll pay you for it. I'm like, all right, cool. So I went and did my thing and took pictures of the outfits and sent them back. And I don't know how much of it he wore, but I would say I might have been the first NBA stylist because uh-huh. this shit was like. yeah. Pretty Brian, and I mean, this is what Stell was like. Maybe yeah. still a blazer. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. Um, so I've always cared about that, and I think if you're remotely paying attention, that you understand the league is is putting a lot of no professional sports is putting a lot of emphasis on fashion, and that the NBA is the forerunner in that area. And I think you know, I remember Ron said something about um, you know, records are made to be broken or something, but no, uh, the record that will never be broken is being first at something. Right. So someone had to write the book on NBA fashion. Better to be the first one than the second, right. even if right. you miss out on some stuff sure. or you get some stuff wrong. Sure. So I, I was really um, interested in that. And then it came through me through, it came to me through my editor at, at Hearst, um, who I trust about, you know, ideas and where to, where to spend my time. So your editor suggested this for you? The same editor that gave me the Ahmaud, assigned the Ahmaud Arbery story mm-hmm. is the editor that brought Fly to yeah. me. They, it wasn't my idea. They brought this idea to me, and I said, oh, I know a good idea when I yeah, see it. Yeah, her. yeah, okay, great. <laughs> I love this. It's so I good editor, yeah. by the way. They're like, this will be perfect. Your, give everyone a background on your fashion, because you, you, you fly fly. So when did this fashion, this love of fashion, like fashion, for real fashion, not yeah. like I look good, my shoes match with my shirt, but like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But like I want to, yeah, I, I want to put all the things together, and then you don't. What you know about yeah. this type of look? When did all of that yeah, come yeah. together <laughs> for you? 
Yeah. Uh, well, I, I've always liked it. Uh, my uncle was a fashionista, I guess, before I would have even termed that. He would have like a stack of GQ in his closet and a stack of Esquire in his closet. And I would live in his closet, just flipping through the page, like, ooh, wait till I get some. Yeah. I like that Kanye song, like, nah, yeah. nah, nah. Wait till I get my money, right? Yeah. And look, yeah. We love to shop black folks. You know, yes. we, don't, we get the, we have $5,000, $4,999 will be on clothes. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. An unexpected uh, yeah. So then I, you know, when I got to be like 18 to 20, when I was selling a little, bit of drugs i was we got sacks around that same time oh no yeah so i was in there remember them versace silks yeah, yeah. and the <laughs> you ain't up on this you ain't up yeah, on this yeah. <laughs> oh i love us every champion and carry champions to be a champion a champion and carry champion and carry champion a champion and carry champion and carry champion all right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Every champion and carry champions to be a champion. A champion and carry champions. 
so for the people who are listening, you should follow Mitchell on uh, social media because you'll see what I'm talking about. He was at uh, the the in season tournament and he he walked the red carpet, if you will, like the athletes do yeah. in the tunnel. And he um, he was like, let me just take a look at this because you missed this. And then what about <laughs> this? And let me get this angle. And what you know about this, you ain't up on this. Yeah. And so I love yeah. that for you. So you have to, you have to follow him. If you're into fashion, you'll hear it, it, it's beautiful. Now, the love that you have for fashion and basketball um, are, are makes sense, and it, mm-hmm. it makes sense for you to to have this book. So what it, what will people experience when they go out to purchase fly? What are you trying to share and sell? I, I, one of my favorite quotes is a Miles Davis quote, and it's, um, you got to have style in everything you do. And uh, I really take that to heart in terms of writing. Uh, so crafting the sentence, crafting the paragraph, figuring out a structure that feels new. Um, and so there are pictures in here, lovely pictures. but. Also, I feel like this book is actually stylish. Mm-hmm. Like the touch the cover, it has a, a texture mm-hmm. to it and it's tactile. I thought a lot about like what the picture is going to be that opens it. You know, there's a picture of Braun. There's a picture of, you know, Shay closing it. I thought about um, there's a the opening section just really talks about what is style. And they were like, hey, why don't you get right to it? And I'm like, nah, again. The reader, I think if you pick up a book, you're willing to give the writer, you should be willing to give the writer more than a paragraph of your attention. And so for me, it's like, can you just sing on the page for two pages, you know, and talk about memorable elements of, uh, you know, Steph hitting threes or Dr. J going up under the basket or AI crossing somebody. So for me, it, it's it's the images which are there. But then there's the language and there's the way that this book book was put together. And then there's the packaging of it. And so so I think of it as a representation of my sense of aesthetics. Okay, you think the book is a representation of your sense of aesthetics. You put magic in a fur. You put some of these classic photos. You put classic photos. I'm a diehard Laker fan. Um, and, okay. and I have always felt like fashion was a part of the NBA and I don't know if we've ever highlighted it, but in, to me, has always been the time for yeah. the athlete to, to show their personality, to show their style, to show who they are. Right. Yeah. Sometimes it, yeah. you can think they just put on a sweatsuit, but that's who they are. Their, their clothing, yeah. 100% in my opinion, indicates how they, how they feel about themselves and how they move in this, this world. Are you conveying that yeah. for everyone in fly? I hope so. Um, I think the other thing I should have maybe, maybe this is as or might be more important than my kind of personal sense of aesthetics is that it is a history of the league. And it's also the, if the history of a league to me is a history of America. So there's context, historical context, social context, cultural context for what was driving these fashion slash aesthetic slash style choices, right? So pre-civil rights movement and what the white dudes look like in the NBA and post-civil rights and what Walt Clyde Frazier and Wilt and and Dr. J was looking like, you know, what influence did hip hop have with, with Iverson and Jermaine mm-hmm. O'Neal and Vince Carter and, you know, what influence did Instagram have with 
or the, maybe we call it the dress code, but certainly later on Instagram, like we don't get to any of that, right? So it is also, and, and as someone who played basketball through junior college, I didn't know this history. Like I didn't really know about Mike and I didn't really know about the first three black players that came into the league. I didn't really know about the ABA and NBA merger, right? So there's a lot of things that I didn't know as a lifelong basketball fan. So it's a basketball history, kind of. It's also a cultural kind of rumination on what Black culture did inside of sports. I love it. And that's what I was getting at. Like, I love that idea. And if you can do that, especially in today's age, and I don't want to simplify any uh, that people aren't paying attention, but in today's age, it's yeah. really hard to get messaging across because there's so much there. And you present with this yeah. beautiful, colorful, um, historical book, not necessarily history in the sense of I'm going to learn everything I need to know, but you put it in perspective yeah. where it's digestible and you've also added fashion with it. And I think that is so beautiful. If you had your choice, and, and of course I have to get personal out here because you played basketball, as you have mentioned, if you could tell me who your favorite dressed player currently is right now in the league and why mm. man it really it's really hard to argue against sga right now shakilius alexander uh, so he's always put together he is a fashion he's a fashion yeah. he's a moment and he he's i think he's so i think a lot of guys like i would say anthony davis is fashionable you know for, but for me i think that's different because if you're fashionable it for me, it means that you like recognize what the trends are, what brands you should be wearing, and to a certain degree, how you should wear them. Like you look at uh, at um, Anthony Davis, he got the Gucci shirt on, sure. and he got the new LVC, sure. right? So like, nobody's gonna be like, nah, he ain't. You know, he he fly by drug dealer standards <laughs> everywhere in America. <laughs> <laughs> but but SGA is is like fashion. He put the red belt with the you know he he's he's dealing with proportions. He'll wear a really small t shirt and he'll have texture. a belt and the pants will be really sure. big or you know like mixing textures. So that's style. It's like taking what is available via fashion and then making it into something that's a representation of your identity. And that is a very few players in the league. I think the league is mostly fashionable. But stylish, that ain't that many. I would say like D'Angelo Russell probably. Uh, Jordan Clarkson. Yeah, D'Angelo Russell is like, like a, a, a like a dope Dylan professor. It's so, like, I agree, I because he gives me auntie vibes all the time. Yeah, and I'm all like, but, but he's cultivating the look. Like he wear the cardigan, but he'll have no okay, shirt. Okay, okay, I see, right? I like, see what you're saying. And khakis, because you he, know, so he like, made me mad. He made me mad. He's committed. He to, made me mad. Oh yeah, he made me mad. You talking about the court? Yes, on the court. When I was like, you got an audience. You taking oh, all this time yeah. to put this outfit together? Work on your shot, my G. <laughs> you need to go shoot. Yeah, jumpers, why huh? you? Why you the flyest of them all? <laughs> Get your ass in the gym. Yeah. Okay, so what about what about um? I'm going to tell you my favorites. I think LeBron okay. and Chris Paul yeah. are cleaner than clean. And it's a grown man clean yes. that I like. It's like, yeah. and Chris goes with the edge of it all. But yeah. Chris, I, I might even give it give it to Chris just a, an inch over LeBron. And I know they both are styled. Yeah, just an inch more. But yeah. LeBron will come through sometimes and you'll be like, clean. But Chris forever, always, is just well put together. Chris Paul. Um, and the thing I think about them, I think LeBron 
has more presence. Of course. Than Chris. Of course. Because he's and taller. Like, <laughs> like, did you see him at the play in? Yeah. I please. saw his outfit. He had like a white t shirt on, white some pants. black pants, and some sneakers. But then when I looked, he had on the sparkly Louis Vuitton sneakers and he had like the Tiffany lock bracelet yep. and the all diamond, yeah. you know, so like it was very thoughtful. <laughs> it wasn't just like everybody else be like, well, he got on a white tee and black <laughs> sneakers. Nah. It was more. That's different. Yeah, he's very. So yeah. for me, Ron is the only one that dresses like a star oh, all the time. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, like Chris Paul wears some shit and you could be like, oh, I could wear that. Like, you know, but Bron, nah, he's a star. Like how- all the he he always shows up as a star like, versus some of the other players. That's a, by the way, and I like Chris Paul's Chris uh, Paul stuff. I like his yeah. Style, but, but by the way, that's a great tweet. Who looks like a superstar today? Like that's a whole that's a whole yeah. Instagram social media account yeah, about all these. Real. I think I think just pound for pound. NBA players dress better than football players because football players... No question. Yeah, right? Because the football player style... Is, man, them necks is hard to get in the shirts. <laughs> you got an 18 and a half But neck. it just is... It's, it's so like... It, it's not it's not it. You know what I mean? It just isn't yeah. it. But and I don't know how to describe it. But shout it. out to uh, Tyrod Taylor, though. Tyrod Taylor. Plain. Um, Odell? Uh, Odell has uh, his own thing going. Odell. Uh-huh. And um, what's the other... I think the Giants receiver... Um. Oh my God! What is his name? He got a brother that's a that's a, a DB. Well, give maybe if you guys know to add us add us so we can remember. You're like, should I Google? Yeah. I can't Google my phone. This is all I can do. Let's see, you can Google if you want. I can't think about it. I just feel like, well, one NBA players make more money, even though this is they all make a gross amount of money. But I feel like there is much more gladiator to what they do. So style is going to be hard for the, it's going to be hard for a, a football player to be the version of a, a Shake Gillius Alexander. Like yeah. it's just not going to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, without yeah. A, I like that you said that gladiator. Yeah. Cause it's still, it's um, still, it's still guts, right? It's still tear it up. You yeah. know what I mean? I think for basketball players, there's something like, if you think about black culture, going all a diaspora, going back to Africans, how many, stories there are of black people flying like one of my favorite books is morrison's the song of solomon and it's it's so much africans flying in that book and all the stories that they tell us about when we were coming over on slave ships and people would jump off but they wouldn't drown right they would fly away and basketball is the sport that is most representative of flying like you actually see people flying in basketball so it looks more graceful but then it's also more aspirational than any other sport like the rest of the sports they're on the ground mostly right and so for me when you see a basketball player you're seeing someone who you saw fly yesterday Mm -hmm. i I saw a dude literally jump from the free throw line cock that shit back Double clutch yeah, it. Yeah. And, and Doug can be done with it. You know, uh, oh boy jumped out the gym on suspension. Uh, ja. I met Ja. Ja. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ja. <laughs> he about to get that talking to in a couple of days. About a yeah. Condition. Ja is something special to watch. And LeBron is also something yes. special to watch. You're right. It is graceful. But yes. there's also other sports where I think fashion is uh, intrinsically implied. Like I used to cover tennis. Roger did. Roger yes. Federer for me, I must say Goodell. Roger Federer for me was yeah. elegance personified on and off the court. Yeah. And his sponsors were like yeah. Rolex and Louis and yeah. all these other elegant people. The men, the women, not so much. The women are not put together. And yeah. so it's so us. Agassi. Agassi, 
Like all of these people are like you watch and you're like, look at this fashion. Like it is really a moment. Uh-huh. And it's also a European moment because they're truly European. So that is their style. Like the players yeah. from Barcelona and Spain, they were always dressed and they were always they were on the too tight jeans before we can get on the too tight jeans. <laughs> and I was like, these is too tight. But I, I but in so much yeah. there's so much beauty and so much storytelling and fashion. And I'm so glad that you put this book out. And I and I and I'm, I'm glad yeah. that you understood the assignment when given. Um, and yeah. importantly for, for the, for the folks, for the culture, for everyone who's listening, not even just for the culture, cause you already know the story, but go back and take a, a moment and Google his Ahmaud Arbery mm-hmm. piece, um, because it's special. Um, it's really special. And it's just a reminder. It's just a reminder because sometimes we forget life, life passes in the spy and the pandemic, especially 2020 feels 20 years ago, if you will. So, um. Mitchell, thank yeah. you for joining me on Naked. You are a sweetheart. Anything else you want to promote before I let you thank go? Uh, no, no, this has been great. Really great. Uh, uh, Stefan No, Diggs. that's it. Oh, okay. We got to it. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. yeah, you like what he dresses? Okay. 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 Oh, my yeah. God. That's crazy. I forgot. I was like, Stefan Diggs, we forgot. <laughs> All right. I adore you. Thank you so much. Text me. We now have each other's information. We do, we do. And I, I'm Mitchell from Portland. Put me in there, Mitchell from that's Portland, a, the only Negro you I, know in well, Portland. Well, I think of Dame, but he's not from Portland. Dame can dress too. That's another one who does attempt to dress. Dame is fashionable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're we need to break bread when I get back. When I get back to the city, we'll catch okay. up. I'm not just all saying right. that. My again, my well intentioned self wants to do that. I encourage you all to find a moment to read this essay. It's really beautiful. I'll leave you with just, towards the end at least, the excerpt from Ahmaud Aubrey's story that Mitchell wrote. Some of those loved ones got to see Maude play the last game of his senior season, a play-in, which is a playoff, away game at Lakeside Evans High School. In the locker room, the coach delivers a passionate pep talk, and Maude, accessorized in school color blue-high socks and a sparkling white wristband, leads the team in the pregame chant. Y'all ain't ready, he shouts. She, they say. And a ramble out of the locker room, cleats clattering against the concrete and onto the field. Maud's a team captain, so he swings onto the 50-yard line to help call the coin toss. If you guys didn't know, Ahmad Aubrey was a true athlete from top to bottom. He was running that day just to get some exercise because that's what he did. And the fact that he lost his life, so heartbreaking to this very day. I salute Mitchell for capturing the story so beautifully. And I also salute his commitment to telling the story of Black men. Whether it be fashion, whether it be a Maud Aubrey, whether it be just existing in the world that we live in today. I appreciate him for joining Naked, and I appreciate you all for listening. See you next week. Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that 
the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.